Welcome to another session with the Market Dominance Guys, a program about the innovators, idealists, and entrepreneurs who thrive and die in the high-stakes world of building a startup company. We explore the cookbooks, guidebooks, and magic beans needed to grow your business. So let's get going. Listening to the Market Dominance Guys with your host, Chris Beal of Connect and Sell and Corey Frank of Uncommon Pro. Today, when you examine the toolbox of the modern sales professional, many of us immediately see the abundance of options in the marketing and sales tech stacks that decorate most of our desktops. I mean, I I have tools that can disguise my phone number. I know when someone opens my email. I could do a virtual face-to-face meeting on demand. AI and machine learning tools even tell me what to say and who I should say it to. It's a scale of portable technology and advancement and capital that any ordinary rep desktop today would leave an Apollo-era NASA slide-ruled engineer in your dust. But what about the actual techniques and the behaviors and the scripting and the go-to-market strategies of that same modern sales professional? Sadly, for most of us, we're still stranded in mid-century America. But not the mid-20th century. Rather, I'm speaking of the mid-19th century America, that of 33 states. (laughs) The mid-century of America where the new hot book on the scene was not good to great or the lean startup, but instead a fresh little nautical fiction text entitled Moby Dick. In this episode, Chris takes us through a virtual time warp of strategy and territories and compensation as a salesperson. So some things have indeed changed, but some remain firmly entrenched in a mid-century Franklin Pierce America. This is the Market Dominance, guys, and today's episode is Get the DeLorean, My Profession is Stuck in 1855. When we were doing the test drive with you at Stormwind, we had Connect and Sell and we were doing pretty well and we we're spending lots of money. Tom says we should probably try another competitor just in case. Well, there are no other competitors, right? Come back with, no, there's this company called Connect Leader. Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. Well, um, sure. I kind of felt that, yeah, that's that's the right thing to do for the business. Right. You know, brought those guys in and uh, you know how the movie ends, right? We probably lasted maybe gosh, maybe a month with those guys after like three months with you. And then I come crawling back to you and I come and, and the services, you know, give or take, let's just say from a high level, from Tom's perspective, the services were roughly the same. Mm-hmm. The biggest difference was the trust factor that I had, right? Because I mean, look at even now we had, we probably known each other maybe 10 years before Stormwind in various interactions. And so I did trust you more than I trusted myself. Right. And people like uh, like Chad or Steve in the marketplace as well. Right. There are certain folks that I do trust them, which is why you seek out their counsel. You seek out their advice. You probably don't set one foot in the AISP conference in Chicago. You don't even get into the breakout rooms before somebody sees you at the hotel check in 
and says, oh, wait, wait, Chris, I got a quick question about ABC vendor. You're familiar with it. I can't them. physically get into the building. <laughs> turns out, which is great. Yeah. So, because you've, you've, this trust oozes from you. And so people do trust you. Is that a little bit of the, that I may have a superior product. I may have even an exceptional list, but if my salespeople are not trained with true empathy and I don't hire to that, that they'll never get to that threshold. Or I may succeed in spite of my sales team. But how conscious should I be as we're going down this path of, of market dominance in the selection of the people who give that message? Hugely, hugely careful. I mean, this is where hiring somebody who even exaggerates a little bit is highly problematic. I mean, I know some who do and get away with it, but they, they exaggerate transparently. That is, it's a, it's a joke. You know, Steve's the opposite. Steve Richard is hyper precise. Steve will never tell you a number that he doesn't know is true. He just won't do it. So there, there's two personalities out there in the public that take different approaches to it. But when you're hiring a salesperson and you get that person who shades what they say a little bit in order to, you know, to influence somebody, the problem is it, it is the web of lies problem. You can't play it, right? You can't play it. You get, at some point, it just gets problematic. But the other problem is, you know, human beings are to sincerity as wolves are to fear. They smell it or insincerity, right? Human beings smell insincerity. And the only people that can get away with being insincere in a sales situation are, are psychopaths. And there are psychopaths out there, sociopaths, whatever you want to call them, who actually have perfected the art of causing people to trust them, even though their intentions are very, very bad. They, those people exist. They, you know, they make up a special subset of society. They've existed for all time. They have some function out there, I'm sure. You can send them in among your enemies. And you might get something good to happen, right? Yes, so, yes. You know, some of them are in certain industries that are interesting that, you know, where you know, I would imagine if I were, uh, were going to be, a, say, a true undercover spy living in somebody else's society for 40 years with intent to subvert them, it'd probably be pretty handy to be a, so a sociopath or a psychopath because then I can get people to trust me because I manufacture it. But for most of us, for the vast, vast majority of people, we're stuck with actually having good intentions, sincerely having good intentions in order to be trusted. And that's a funny place for a salesperson to be. In fact, when we compensate salespeople, we're basically saying to them, you know what? I don't trust you to actually put the effort in and do this correctly. So I'm only going to pay you for what you, for what you bring in. Everybody else in the company, we pay them because they do what we ask them to do and we've designed that process. And if they do it diligently and they interact with other people in the company in a way that's, that's helpful or at least not too hurtful, we keep paying their salary. And unless their job description goes away, they get to stay with us, right? Salespeople, we give them the opposite message. We say, you're an outsider. We're going to pay you as little as possible for doing the job and as much as possible for the results. We don't care how you get the results. We just don't care. Just bring in the number, right? Mm -hmm. And then we kind of hope that we get sincere people. Well, it used to be you didn't have to be that sincere to play this game. So now we have a new situation. It's going to be very interesting to me to see what happens in the world of sales compensation. So sales compensation is based on the notion that sales itself is an external function of the company. 
Sales is not inside the company. It's outside. It's an appendage. Notice where it is on the P&L. SG&A. <laughs> Sales, general, and administrative. What? What in the world? I mean, that's like we lumped it in with the electricity that we buy, the rent that we pay. You know? Oh, yeah, yeah. And you have to have the sales function, whatever that is, right? And sales's job was always to convert inventory that was being generated by a factory. So it's the essence of how sales is thought of is an outgrowth of the core structure of capitalism. So capitalism says this, hey, I got to have capital to make stuff because you make stuff with machines, right? That's why capitalism was interesting because machines represent the ability to make more than a, an individual human working with their hands with the tools they might've accumulated, say were handed down from their, mom, their dad, right? Mm-hmm. So if I'm a carpenter, you know, in 1600, well, I apprenticed to a carpenter, probably my dad, I borrow his tools for a while. And then when my dad retires or passes on or cuts his hand off or whatever the hell he does, those tools become mine and my skills are mine. And I take my trade out and I do my trade. We'll be back in a moment after a quick break. Connect and Sell allows your sales reps to talk to more decision makers in 90 minutes than they would in a week or more of conventional dialing. Your reps can finally be 100% focused on selling since all of their CRM data entry and follow-up scheduling is fully automated within Connect and Sell's powerful platform. Your team's effectiveness will skyrocket by using Connect and Sell's teleprompter capability as they'll know exactly what to say during critical conversations. Visit connectandsell.com. Corey and Chris. That's not capitalism. There's no, what's the upside of having capital? It would do you no good. In fact, it'd be bad. It would take away the spur to go out and work. Right. Create idleness, right? I've seen books, very sacred books that talk about how dangerous it is to have, you know, and and they're not the right ones. And that can issues. So there's only so many forms of entertainment (laughs) getting pregnant. So then we come along and it's like, you know, okay, wait a second. We figured out how to take the stuff of the earth, coal, rain, falls uphill and runs downhill. Just a couple of things. And turn that stuff into motion. And we figured out how to harness that motion and turn that motion into inputs turning into valuable outputs without a person doing it. And now we say, oh, well, look at this. I can make a cotton gin. Well, what does a cotton gin do? It solves one problem and it creates another problem. The problem is I can run the damn thing all day long. I can run it all night long. I can do it with two people, one in the day and one in the night because people need to sleep. That's it, two people doing the job of 100 people. So now I have this output. I got to dispose of the output. Now I need sales to dispose of the output and turn it into cash. Why do I want the cash? Because the cash is capital to get a new machine and double my productivity double my production, not my productivity, but my production. So capitalism produced this beautiful thing, which is a positive feedback loop between the gross profit produced by sales and the future size of my company. Because I, as long as I have access to the inputs, which is why companies, big companies became vertically integrated. I need my own coal. I need my own iron ore, right? They had integrated supply chains. And they did that because interruption of supply would cause your capital to go idle your machines, 
yep, yep. to go idle. Sales's job was to keep up with the output. And the primary way sales did that was by dynamically adjusting price within individual markets called territories. It was always geographical in order to make sure that all the output was disposed of. So the reason for the great discounting culture in sales is that the job of sales was to dispose of the output. You can't have inventory build up forever. You got to sell the damn stuff off in order to be able to buy the raw materials that you needed to make the stuff in the first place. And then in order to be able to potentially expand the business. So sales is still stuck in 1855. Still looks exactly like it did in 1855, which is I hire you, I give you a territory and you have discounting authority and you'll only exercise it to a particular degree because your commission depends on how much you sell. So the discipline is provided by the commission. And I have extra inventory and I need to get it down to a certain level to keep these machines going and uh, I need the machine book. Yeah. It's, very, it's very simple, right? Why sales exists and why it sits there on SGNA. Why sales doesn't sit where it should sit today, which is right in R&D. Sales is actually a form of development at this point. It's development of the thing you need more than a product, which is a market. The scarcity in the world has gone away from products. You can build products anytime you want. See this product here? See this little coffee cup with all this stuff on it? It's my wife's name and all this cool stuff. I can go on Zazzle and have one of these things made for me. I can have 100 made. I can have 10,000 made. And all I do is go click, click. No, I don't want it to say this. I want it to say this. No, I don't want the color to be white. I want the color to be beige. No, I wouldn't, wouldn't want that size. I want the handle to look different, right? Think what that used to take 150 years ago, 100 years ago, 50 years, 30 years ago. Huge to, to make that design decision. No, no, no. We have, we have like, oh, we've made molds. We have jigs. We have this. We have that. My capital had to be affected. Products are nothing nowadays. They're, they're nothing. Markets are ever. I was talking to a guy last night about a radical product, a product that will change the world. I I can describe it at the very highest levels. It's a product that would allow any owner of any company to know what their company is worth at no cost. Hmm. Just like you can know what your house is worth through Zillow, you can know what your company is worth. Mm -hmm. Super valuable product. Anybody can see how valuable it is, right? If you could do that and make the product, you do it. Well, you can do that and make the product. It turns out to build that product, if you have the deep knowledge of that domain, which this individual happens to have, is a matter of calling up Hitesh Shah and saying, hey, Hitesh, you know, would you take $100,000 to build this for me in six weeks? And he goes, sure, yeah, maybe, whatever. I don't know, I'm busy, whatever, right? So say he decides to do it, you're going to get a usable product within six weeks that will change the world. But you've still got a marketing problem. <laughs> right. Well, right. Your product problem has gone down which is why VCs will no longer fund ideas because the products are so easy to build. They're going, if you bring me an idea, what's wrong with you? Why didn't you build the product? Yeah. Yeah. Right? yeah. So they won't play that game anymore. But the game that the people plays is the go to market game. Go to market game is a demo for a future acquirer. But if you're a serious corporate, that is you, you're stuck with survival as a corporation. When you get to a certain point, the option of just throwing yourself away is not so great. If you're a startup, fine, you throw yourself away. You know, you get bought by somebody for whatever the going price is. Everybody's got a formula, such and such X revenue for this category of company, blah, 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 right? But if you're running a $100 million company that you've built up over time, you don't have one market you dominate. 
you got there somehow, say two of your markets that you used to dominate dissolved through secular forces. They're not there anymore. So you're going to go out of business. It's not an if, it is a when. You will go out of business eventually for a simple mathematical reason. Someone else will come in and dominate one of your markets that you're playing in. And as you lose share, you'll have to discount like an old fashioned sales guy in order to maintain what feels like share in the market, but it actually is going down because the gross profit contribution of each unit that you're selling in that market on a repeated basis is going down and you're hollowing out your company. So superior products, if I take this and continue this equation here, superior products, better than average products, may not necessarily win in the end if their go-to-market strategy, their sales staff is not at a superior level. In other words, all other things being equal in a vacuum, a superior sales force with a substandard product will beat a standard product with a substandard sales force over time, over an extended period of time? Over time, every time. Over time, every time. Every time. There are, there, will be no, there are no exceptions to that. There is a certain class of product that is not a superior product that is sort of the mind-blowing product where somebody gets it just right and it resonates mm-hmm. in the market. Slack is an example of a mind-blowing product. Mm-hmm. No, you know, there were 100 Slacks, right? There were 1,000 Slacks at one point. And they happened to get it together just right and bing, the thing resonated and it spread. And everybody uses those as examples. But when you look at those examples, they apply to a tiny, tiny fraction of the kinds of products that you can field out there. Almost all products you can field for the enterprise can't work like Slack in terms of the spread because the unit of adoption isn't the human. Right? Dropbox was like this. The unit of adoption was the individual and then they did this thing. Most products, the math doesn't work like that in B2B. The unit of adoption normally is the work group or the department or the division or the company. Yes. yes. Right. And so right. when the unit, unit of adoption or unit of change is above the level of the, the individual, product is essentially not meaningless, but secondary to go-to-market strategy. Did I make a list? So does it get easier and easier, harder and harder? You've been listening to Market Dominance Guys Radio, sponsored by Connect and Sell, right here in the Funnel Radio Channel for at-work listeners like you. Today's show is also brought to you by UncommonPro.com. Selling a big idea to a skeptical customer or investor is one of the hardest jobs in business. So when it's really time to go big, you need an uncommon methodology to convince others that your ideas will truly change their world. Through a modern and innovative sales and scripting tool set, we offer a guiding hand to ambitious leaders in their quest to reach market dominance. It's time to get uncommon with UncommonPro.com. Never miss an episode. Go to any of your favorite podcast venues and search for Market Dominance Guys or go to MarketDominanceGuys.com and subscribe. Subscribe.